0: A smoke-free world. Is such a thing possible? Welcome to Organising the Future with me, Andrew Parry. I'm Head of Investment at J.O. Hambro Capital Management and Regnan. We talk a lot about emissions on organising the future, but today we're going to talk about some somewhat different kind of emission, not carbon emissions, but tobacco. And who better to talk to than my guest today, Jennifer Mottles, Head of Sustainability at Philip Morris International. Jennifer, thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's, um, it's my pleasure to be here finally in person after so long.
0: It has been a while. And we did one of these before, which never made it to air. So hopefully we're going to get this one out and uh, reprise our conversation from a couple of years ago.
1: I know this is the better one. This is the version that needs to air
0: that everybody needs to listen to. I'm sure (laughs) a lot of people are going to be fascinated to talk, talk about tobacco and sustainability and system change all in the same podcast. Before we get down to how a tobacco company sees a long-term sustainable future for itself, uh, could we learn a little bit more about you, a Chilean human rights lawyer who came to the head of, become head of sustainability at one of the world's largest tobacco companies? Perhaps you could sketch out that journey for us. You know, I think I asked you before, surely it's an oxymoron head of sustainability at a tobacco company.
1: Sure. I think, I mean, you know, you and I have talked about this. Uh, about it being an oxymoron sustainability and tobacco and uh, as time goes by the more that I think about it the more that I say it actually the less that I think it's an oxymoron because you need to be in places that are not working well in order for them to become sustainable so it's Perhaps the actual oxymoron to have sustainability in companies that are already sustainable, that have business models, if they exist, because I don't know, that are already working out. I, I'm not so sure. I think that um, when you think about long-term impact, when you think about sustainability, uh, and you think about the complexity of what that entails, and transforming companies, and transforming business models, and transforming economic systems. Um, It is necessary to have people there that um, feel uncomfortable with the status quo, that feel that um, change is needed so that value can be created in a different way and perhaps in a more conscious way that respects social and environmental boundaries while still uh, bringing profit to shareholders and to society. So I don't think it's an oxymoron. I think that you need a, a chief sustainability officer, more than ever in these kind of companies. Uh, and certainly in a company like ours, it, um, it pays off because it showcases very strongly how our sustainability strategy and our corporate strategy and our transformation strategy are really the same thing. They're all one and the same. And it is that embedment, is that um, interlink that actually um, makes the change more permanent.
0: And it's a question you could have asked back to me, because of course it's a, it's an issue that the investment in- industry is struggling with, because we are a call on the whole you know, economy, and the economy is certainly messy, contains the good, bad, bad, and the downright darn, darn ugly. And you know the way that you have to think of it as an investor is actually how you handle complexity. How do you handle a transition? And there's no simple, easy way of doing it. We, one of the things I would say on this show is nobody's allowed to talk about win-win scenarios. Hmm. It is about change. It is about improvement. It is about tran- uh, transformation. And if you think of it in the context of sustainability, there's no such thing as a s- sustainable company without mm-hmm. a sustainable system. Yeah. You can apply it to, given that we've got COP27 that's just finished, you can apply it to climate. You can't have a net zero company without a net zero world. Because yeah. it is about changing the system. So I think that's going to set the tone for what we're going to talk about today. How for do you change sure. the world? How do you change the company? You know, there's a lot going on at PMI. You're, you are a firm that's in transition. You know, your corporate purpose statement, um, I think it was a number of years ago that you wrote the first one. It's probably great clarity in terms of your vision. And in terms of achieving that vision for a smoke-free world, which always seems a you know, a very ambitious target. How do you think about the role of incentives and disincentives in the system that are placed there by, you know, people like governments, mm-hmm. um, and how your strategy is determined not just by your own actions, but those of uh, external agents?
1: Right. When you want to create change, I think, and you are aware that um, that that systems change requires that different parts of society play their part. So you were talking before about the finance community and the immense amount of power that you have in terms of um, nudging companies to rethink what success looks like. And so for us, um, traditionally a cigarette company that is seeking to no longer base its success on making or selling cigarettes, um, what is in our power to achieve that as soon as possible and what is out of our control. So I think that like Every other big and complex issue, it requires uh, different supply and demand measures. So we can set the intention outright, and and you're right. We put out a statement of purpose in 2020. It was issued by our board, and the intention was to give clarity to all our stakeholders. And actually, the statement of purpose lists who are our main stakeholders in the sense of who are those groups in society that can play a role in making sure that we can achieve our purpose, but that we can achieve our purpose as fast as possible. So the scientific community, government, regulator, consumers, the finance community, our own employees, our supply chain. And then what is it that we want to achieve? And how is it that we want to achieve it? And also, give clarity to our own organisation. Where is it that we're going to allocate resources? Where is it that we're going to put our priorities so that we can um, transform our company completely and in doing so have an impact on society by making cigarettes obsolete? So a a lot of the questions that we get, and I think that this is born from the scepticism of what you were saying before.
0: And tell me a bit more about that sort of shareholder engagement. I'm always fascinated as somebody who does engage with... Uh, companies and as a firm, it's a very important part of what we do. But, you know, we've talked a part, uh, in the past about the sort of elephant in the room, particularly when you're talking to people with an ESG responsible investing back, background. And so what's the elephant in the room that they never ask about from?
1: Yeah, sure. I'll tell you a story related to that. I remember a few years back I was speaking in a conference in New York Um on uh, sustainable finance. And so it was already controversial that I was a speaker in that conference because it was about sustainable finance. And I was very curious about who was going to attend the meeting, who, how is it that people were going to react, but more important, what is it that were people in the room going to ask me? and um it was a it was a small panel there was uh, some um institutional investors, some active investors there's a private sector okay I was sitting there and um they they start asking questions about child labor in our supply chain about diversity and inclusion in the workplace about decarbonization of our supply chain and obviously Andrew these are very important things but the most material issue from a sustainability standpoint, the biggest negative externality that our company creates comes from the impact of the products that we sell. And nobody asked, when are you going to stop selling cigarettes? And I guess nobody asked because everybody assumed... The answer is never because you're a cigarette company and that's where your revenues are coming from. So while you're trying to decarbonize and you're trying to improve your gender representation in leadership, you're minimizing um, small negative impacts but avoiding completely the biggest one because arguably or presumably there's no solution for that. And there's such a missed opportunity there because that is the elephant in the room. And that's the question that should have been asked first. When are you going to stop selling cigarettes? Because if I have an answer, that can change and shift everything in the way that we engage, in the way that we lead the industry to change, in the way that other investors take note on what to ask and how to ask it. And it made me wonder, this is not just about tobacco. I wonder um, to what extent investor engagement is just about a long laundry list about different ESG issues uh, without really understanding that Not all ESG issues are created equal and that there is an element of materiality depending on a company's value proposition and footprint that if an investor doesn't take note to understand what is the most material issue, it will be very difficult to have a conversation that is constructive and fruitful.
0: It's an interesting point on what constitutes engagement because engagements now become framed for us as investors as about engaging on really environmental and social matters and how they're governed. So it's become, if you like to use the awful acronym ESG, it's become an ESG issue, when in reality, it should be around business strategy, long-term financial viability. That's right. Which, of course, if you're going to transition successfully away from tobacco, we need to look at Mm -hmm. if governments change their policy Mm -hmm. to tobacco. Now, a lot of that's outcomes based reporting which, mm-hmm. and that's the the, you know, the modern trend that we're going to see a lot more developments in sustainable reporting but what about this sort of impact element because turning around the critics who would say you know the, about the product what, what about the impact which is the the health costs the social costs uh, on people who do do smoke how do you how do you think about reporting of that? Yeah, in the because that sets the context, you know, and and that is you know is a is a number that the World Health Organization publishes. Do is that something that you yeah. you talk about in your reporting?
1: No, and I don't think that the WHO actually publishes that in terms of uh, the impact that you're referring to. And and before I go there, perhaps a word on on uh, impact valuation, which I agree with you is a little bit the next frontier, and there's like different initiatives that are trying to. Uh, crack it, if you may. How how does this work? You know, on the one hand, and and you have different initiatives. The the Value Balancing Alliance. We're actually a funding member of that organization. You have the impact weighted accounts. Um, on the other side, and you have great work led by George Seraphim and also Car- Clara Barbery on there. Um, I agree with you. I mean, we. I think that the the way that this has evolved, it it, it has gone from um, reporting on inputs. If you think about it on ESG, moving to outputs and then outcomes maybe, and now trying to get into impact, like what is it that you're doing? How is it, what is it that you're creating? What is it that you're removing? Um, How is it that you can explain what your new success looks like? What are the different capitals that you're measuring besides and beyond financial capital? Um, I think it's very hard. I think that we... um, we do a little bit, uh, we try, and I think on climate, you can see that it has become a little bit more standardized with TCFD and and with more, um, uh, with more consensus there. But I think that it is very complicated, and I think that there is a risk if we try to go too far or too fast that the effort of measuring impact it will become diluted and not credible. So I think that we need to continue exploring it And find comfort in reporting on outcomes that are measurable, that are hopefully quantifiable, that are verifiable, that are auditable, so that at least they can accompany the financial disclosures that a company is doing in a way that is relevant enough and robust enough that they can come at par and you can factor them in for your decision making. At least for me, that is success at the moment.
0: Well, strangely, I'm not a big fan of dollarizing impact. You know, I, I it's think just the very end of complicated. One, the it gets complicated, but also yeah. it can trivialize, trivialize, gosh, I can't speak today, uh, trivialize <laughs> uh, the actual outcomes that are being achieved in the real world. And maybe tobacco is a less good example of that, but I think elsewhere around social cohesion in developing countries, yeah. trying to dollarize a quality job, for example, yeah. Can be a bit misleading. I think we all know impact when we see it, and actually turning it into a, a, a PNL item, I do do worry whether that distorts yeah. what we're yeah. achieving. But that's sort of neat segue into talk a little bit about regulation. Yeah. You know, gosh, isn't there a lot of that around? We could have a whole podcast <laughs> on acronyms, but for yeah. the benefit of our listeners, I think we will uh, try to uh, <laughs> avoid too many acronyms. We've used the d- dreaded ESG <laughs> one you know, too many times already, but. Within the within Europe, we have the Sustainable Financial Disclosure Requirements, right? An acronym otherwise known as SFDR. We now have the UK interpretation. One letter difference in the acronym, the Sustainable Disclosure Requirements. And you know, a lot of this is not about what we do as investors, or it, sh- it, it is, but it should first be about what you do as corporates, because at the end of the day, that's what we're doing is investing in in the endeavours and outputs and outcomes of corporate activity. Yeah. And I just want to uh, just have a chat about how you see regulation and the, the growth in uh, the requirements on you. Um, you know, I was also interesting that when we, we've talked before, we've talked a little bit about, you know, uh, the where a tobacco company would sit in yeah. the EU sustainable framework. Yeah. And you know, maybe you're saying, "Well, it's perfectly okay to have a tobacco company in a sustainable label, in yeah. you know, an Article Eight disclosed yeah. product." You know, that will come as a bit of a shocking revelation yeah. to many, and many of our listeners probably would disagree with that vehemently. Yeah. But and so, the way maybe to think about trying to answer that is, how do we say to our clients who, were we're considering E and S environmental and social considerations, why we might own it? You know, tobacco company yeah. in and such a product because many of them just don't want us to own it. Divestment, divestment, divestment. Mm-hmm. So a lot in that question, but
1: yeah, I think no, you're right, and and I think that ugh, listen, in the past years we have seen so a tsunami of funds go into ESG, and with that tsunami of funds, I think that the natural reaction uh, was going to come in terms of okay, we need to regulate this, you know. Um, we need to avoid pretending or claiming that this money is going into places and achieving things that are not really happening. So I understand the intention of um, norming a little bit or putting some order uh, into uh, giving transparency to your clients or to stakeholders that are um, with the intention, with the good intention of driving positive change, not really understanding what's happening with their money. Now, Unfortunately, this is, this is so much more complex than just creating a label and saying um, this goes and this doesn't go. And this goes back a little bit to like the entire evolution of sustainable finance. And I, I, I shouldn't lecture the lecturer because you know this better than me. But in terms of uh, coming from uh, this, this debate between values and value. And those who choose to not invest in tobacco, for example, because of um, values based from from a moral standpoint, irrespective of what is the value proposition of the company, irrespective of the intentionality of the company to transform, irrespective of the ability the company has to prove with data that this change is really happening. So I think that... um, I don't know to what extent the the first attempt to regulate will be able to properly capture what is the desired outcome, which is to actually um, nudge companies to um, create strategies that substantially internalize negative externalities and they report on it so that people, people individuals, organizations can fund that. Uh, or is it or if it's going to create a system that is so rigid that is going to end up excluding sometimes companies that are actually doing the right thing. Because unfortunately, it's not black and white. And unfortunately, um, companies that are transitioning, not just like ours, you have other industries and other companies that are also transforming. And actually, all companies should transform at some stage uh, at different pace. Transition doesn't happen overnight and transition needs to be funded. And so the KPIs that you're looking for are the KPIs that are showcasing you as an investor that change is happening and that is happening at a pace that is acceptable to you. And for as long as that pace is happening at a pace that is acceptable and in the direction that you expect, then I don't see why not to accompany that journey and also not why to consider it a sustainable for the meaning of the word, in that direction. So for those who are listening, as you were asking me, uh, why why should they feel comfortable holding tobacco if they don't from a values perspective? Uh, The answer is, at a granular level, if that tobacco company is working towards aligning with your values, i.e. moving to remove that negative externality completely, then... Why shouldn't you support it? This is how change happens.
0: And change is ultimately what achieving a sustainable system is about, which is why we always come back to talking about system change. It's very interesting that the UK, in their proposals for sustainable disclosure requirements, don't believe sustainable funds can be achieved just by exclusions alone. It needs to have a, a real intent um, aligned a to either having an impact through allocating capital, improvement in the system, or a focus on companies providing sustainability solutions. So, you know, it shows there's no one size fits all. But I'd wonder if you had any reflections on, you know, exclusion as an investment strategy, because the tobacco industry is probably more than any yeah, being seen as being excluded. Now, one of the arguments for excluding uh, the ownership of certain assets, and we're seeing this with oil and gas at the moment, Yeah, is that it drives up the cost of capital, changes corporate behavior. But the exclusion movement in tobacco is, what, 20-plus years old uh, you know, so you're probably more experienced in what that means than, than most industries. Any reflections on the efficacy or yeah. uh, of that?
1: Yeah, I think that. Listen, it's not just in finance. I think that everywhere, um, when there is something that you so profoundly reject or feel so contrary to, I think the natural tendency is to. Um, yeah, rejected and and uh, excluded in protest. You know, I think that we do it not just with our money. We do it in different ways. You know, you choose to um, not go certain places or not participate in, ther- in certain things. But um, even if viscerally that's your first reaction, unfortunately, that's not how to go about change. Um, and so if you... If you exclude something or you divest, uh, the only thing that you achieve is that you make the problem somebody else's to solve. The problem doesn't go away. If you think about it um, as citizens, irrespective of what country you're from, we, when we turn a certain age, we also earn a right to vote. And if you boycott that and in protest because you disagree with politics and you don't vote you're hurting yourself because you are losing the opportunity to change a system. And if that multiplies by super many individuals, then look what can happen with that democracy. It's not different here. If you think about investment and people boycotting and boycotting because they feel strongly about a business model not being right and feeling strongly about a business model needing to be changed the way to change it is not by excluding it and divesting from it. The way to change it is by engaging. And so I think that um, more and more I see that investors become more, uh, investors and individuals and organizations, stakeholders in general, become more sophisticated at understanding uh, how to use their power, really and how to use the information that is out there and the information that companies are putting out there, the data that they're making available for people to engage in a way that can allow companies to be better. And so I think that, yes, it's true that tobacco exclusion is perhaps one of the most popular um, sustainable finance strategies, even though it's just exercising, I mean, some. When you talk about having ESG products, negative screening, I wouldn't count it as an ESG product per se. But I think that that's shifting and hopefully as we all become better versed on impact and on sustainability and on long-term business models, we all understand that... um, turning a blind eye is not going to create the systems change that we're seeking, not just with tobacco, but also with fossil fuels. I think, obviously, it's very uncomfortable to deal with the fact that fossil fuels will be there for a little bit until they're not, but divesting from fossil fuels is not
0: going to make them go away. In terms of success, and here I am want, want to actually think about personal success, mm-hmm. know, as head of sustainability, how are you going to... De- Find your own sense of achievement uh, in five, ten years' time. Uh, what, what's the sort of sense of reward for you? And I don't mean financially, because <laughs> you know, you, I think you have you, you values yourself beyond that. Uh, how how you? How do you see success?
1: Um, I think that I before I joined PMI, I was working at the UN, and when I got uh, when I was offered the job to join, I was. Um, I remember I was so offended that someone would even think that I would, you know, even think about working for a tobacco company. And uh, once I decided to join and and join this um, transformation quest and everything that we're trying to achieve, I thought, okay, maybe I will last six months or maybe I will last a year. And fast forward, I'm here for seven years. And for me, success is to think back Um, When we were just three, you know, talking about the company not making cigarettes anymore, you know, and people telling us on the halls of the building that we were crazy, you know, and people saying like, okay, like, are you really going to put it on a letter? Are you really going to put it on a report? Like, do you understand that people will read this and the implications it will have? To a company today where like it's only about that you know that people come to work and talent is attracted and retained based on the fact that we are all working on a mission to uh make cigarettes obsolete and i think that that for me is success when you see that there is so much passion and drive about um creating a better future and i'm not just thinking about like cigarettes, no cigarettes i'm thinking about like people that are um smart, passionate, talented, and that are believing that they can create a better place for their kids for tomorrow, that for me is success.
0: So you're the rebel inside.
1: <laughs> Hopefully not, <laughs> for everyone who is listening at home. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and just as we sort of get to draw towards the end, I think one of the big challenges that we have in this uh, in the sustainable investing industry, and it, it is... An industry. is actually a definition of what it means to be a sustainable investor, and I'm just you know, I'm going to ask you to to help us unpick hmm. that a little bit. And you know, as a company that's striving on its own sustainability journey to you know, to achieve a better set of future outcomes versus what, where you are today, how do you think we should think as investors about what a, sus- a truly sustainable investment should look like?
1: I think about sustainability in terms of outcomes, not inputs. And I think about sustainability, about uh, measured intentionality. Uh, And measured intentionality reported through uh, a very tangible way in which a company can explain that their definition of success is not just by accounting for financial capital, but for natural capital, social capital, intellectual capital, um, relationship capital. Uh, And if you are able to convey that in a way that is comprehensive, that is acceptable, um, and that the outcome is one that can promise to bring sustained profit in the long term while respecting the boundaries of society and the environment, then I would say that that is a sustainable investment.
0: You know, I often phrase it as, it, as a sort of the companies that balance best the inevitable dynamic tension between producing sustainable financial outcomes, mm-hmm. their environmental impact and their social consequences as a deliberate part of their, their business strategy. So, And it's it not meant to be an equal one-third, one-third. It's about that tension. It's about that journey. And it is about changing the system. Because the one thing I think we can all be certain about at the moment is we don't have a sustainable system. So it is about that incremental improvement. And, and sometimes those radical step change improvements mm-hmm. that, that we all need mm-hmm. to make to deliver that out- set of outcomes that we all want for future generations. I agree. As always, it's fascinating talking to you. And I'm going to, to, to end on one slight, uh, strange question, but uh, it's one that we ask a, a lot of, uh, all, well, in fact, all of our guests, when I remember to, I, I've forgotten <laughs> occasionally. But um, it's a, just to wrap up, um, well, in a couple, just a couple of minutes, maybe you so, said, Full and bear, very financial terms. Optimism and pessimism. So, yeah, you know, you know what, one, name one thing or tell us about one thing that you're optimistic about in the world, and give me in the context of the world in general or life at PMI, and something that you're you're pessimistic about.
1: Uh, okay, I'm. Um, I think I'm optimistic and pessimistic about the same thing. Is that a terrible answer for your? interviews is. No, I think
0: it just sort of reflects life to be honest
1: yeah I think uh, listen I would be I wouldn't be honest if I didn't tell you that what uh, is keeping me awake these days especially during cop season I mean we are right in the middle of cop 27 as you were saying before we have a cop 15 on biodiversity coming up in December um, obviously the news is flooding with with um, uh, good and sad quality of everything that is happening. And uh, it is so scary and it is so sad. But at the same time, I see um, so much innovation, so much technology, so much good intentions, so much creativity, so much ingenuity that I'm also optimistic that we can turn this around. So I'm pessimistic and I'm optimistic about the same thing. I guess it's not pessimistic. I'm optimistic that we can create change. Uh, I'm scared about how horrible the current status of the earth is and how bad the direction we're heading unless we pivot together. That's my answer.
0: I think we should all be optimistic that we have the power to change. Mm -hmm. And the more that we have these discussions, the more that we have these debates, the more likely that we are to have a better outcome. Jennifer? Thank you very much for your time today. And, of course, thank you to our listeners.
1: Thank you so much for having me, and I hope I can be back another time.
0: Yeah, You are always welcome <laughs> back to have a, an informed and interesting discussion.
1: Thank you, Andrew.
0: Organizing the Future is available on Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe to be sure to catch every episode. If you would like to learn more about investment opportunities at J.O. Hambro Capital Management or at Regnan, please do contact your representative. Details about us, about our funds and our approach to investment are on our website. Just search for J.O. Hambro in your favourite browser.